Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 312, recorded January 11th, 2020. So today we're continuing our five-year mission, or I'm sorry, our uh, year five. Well, we kind of are. I mean, it's still still a five-year mission, and then the fifth year of it. Yeah, we're in the fifth year of the five-year mission. That's right. Or at least the newest version of the fifth year, which is from uh, IDW Comics. Of, right. All came out in 2019 so far. Yep. Yeah, and they all seem to, I mean, they do kind of fit the the template of classic series where the show, the stories are a little hokey, maybe, but uh, but you're, still wait, has you're that not, Star Trek charm. You're not saying Taz was ever hokey, are you? Oh, it was had plenty of hoke in it. <laughs> I would not use the word hokey. What would you use? Awesome. <laughs> Spock's brain. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. If we're talking the third season, that was an embarrassment. Uh, they're not all gold, Ken. Well, all... no, not they're not all gold. Which series is? Next Gen wasn't all gold. That's true. Although, uh, I... although they got a higher percentage, I think. <laughs> But anyways, these stories aren't my favorite Star Trek stories. I think Marvel, DC, uh, IDW have done better Taz era stories than these. But these definitely have that feel of this could have been a story from the 1960s. Yeah, and not only that, they're very high quality. I think the artwork in general is very good. Artwork's good, and I'm not knocking the writing. Again, it's... Well, to be something that was from the 1960s, and I oh, think there's what's wrong with that? Uh, uh, there's nothing wrong with it. It's yeah. just I, being someone who didn't grow up in the 60s, <laughs> kind of like more modern stuff, like things that happened in the 80s. Exactly. That's so last century. <sighs> yep, that's true, though. Okay, but uh, but yeah, so we're going to do issue four, five, and six, um, which. Finishes off the second storyline and is the complete third storyline from the miniseries. Or, I guess it's a maxi-series. I don't know what you would call a 12-issue series, but... Uh, well, but they definitely have story arcs that go over long periods of time, which is definitely not a Taz thing. But, it's you know, it's still still Taz. still has a good Taz feel, but they definitely have overlapping storylines, and they go multiple issues. So that's a little different. Yeah, so speaking of those, I mean, really, it's the the child that's there on the ship, which is a little yes. Tholian child, yeah. which continues to be on the ship. And then also, in these three issues, we get no hint at, but we have to remember that this whole series is basically a flashback from at some point in the future when Kirk has a phaser up to his head and is reliving all of these events in, like, the last moment of his life. So... Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's uh, a way to don't interpret that. Don't expect anything from that on in these three, but but uh, but I've been reading them, trying to see if there's any hint at to to what that gunman could be or who that gunman could be. Right. 
and they don't seem to be offering it up. <laughs> They'll just remind you every once in a while. I, so I assume if this is planned to be a limited run, you know, 20 episodes, whatever, I don't know, issues. I guess it depends on how well it sells. I think it's only uh, supposed to be 12. I, only I think 12? I, I found that out last week. Okay, okay. So only 12. Then we're probably not going to find who, who the gunman is until issue 12. Right. That's what I expect. Yeah, I've seen the cover of issue 12, and it's basically Kirk with the gun up to his head. So, <laughs> Oh, that's right. Okay, so we did talk about this last week. You yes. saying that reminded me of it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't think we talked about it on, on, on air. Okay. All right. Well, that being said, shall we jump into four? Let's which is the, the continuation of the... The continuation and conclusion. Of the IOTA 2 storyline, which is a continuation of a, uh, was it first or second season episode of the original series? Piece of the action. Piece of the action. There you go. A piece of the action. Yes. All right. So this is issue number four of year five, and it came out July of 2019. The writer was Brandon Easton, artist by Martin Colo, colorist Fran Gamboa, letterer Neil Utaki. The Star Trek five-year showrunners are Jackson Lanzing and Colin Kelly. The editorial assistant is Annie Perhentuba, editor Chase Moratz, and group editor Denton J. Tipton. So uh, there's only two covers for this. The first one is by Stephen Thompson, and it's uh, Kirk and McCoy looking at a poster, and the poster is very reminiscent of the Uncle Sam once you poster with the, the pointing finger right at you. But this time, instead of Uncle Sam, it is Spock. And it says, vote for Spock. Itic forever. And other type uh, nonsense. And then the other cover, which is by J.J. Lindley, is uh, back to that travel guide motif where it says at the top, Star Trek Year 5 travel guide. And then it has, discover your inner gangster. Visit Sigma Iota 2. And then it has, like, little, I don't know, cardboard cutout type uh, look of a um, black woman with a Tommy gun and uh, a Andorian male with a suit also with a Tommy gun kind of, like, poking out over the city. Kind of like a, a gangster's Chicago type look. All right, so the story starts with Spock's new political party surging in the polls for being president of IOTA 2. He's doing a televised broadcast to the whole planet, and during this, I guess it's kind of a debate with JoJo, he finds out that there's a space station that's in a decaying orbit about to burn up in the atmosphere. President Jamek is also there, and he confirms this and says there's nothing the Ioceans can do to save those people. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, many of the crew are trying to kill the Tholian child for some reason. Scotty intervenes, and during the standoff, Scotty takes a phaser blast to the chest, but this seems to have no effect at all. Chekhov and his security team show up and disarm the mutineers and take them into custody without the child being harmed. Back on the planet, Kirk, Spock, and Jojo Krakow learn more about the space station. President Jamek tells them that no rocket ships from the planet would be available to save the station. And they actually put a time frame of 45 minutes. That's all that's left before it burns up. Kirk then contacts Scotty and asks him to finish the repairs to the Enterprise 
and try to help save the station. Meanwhile, the crew on the planet, being Spock and McCoy and Kirk, try to race to a rocket launching site to try to commandeer a ship, and uh, JoJo's men are along for the ride. On the ship, while working on the repairs and investigating what happened with the mutineers, Scotty interrogates Ensign Sati uh, about his involvement in the mutiny. This is the main guy that was calling all the shots. Scotty correctly deduces that Seti adjusted their phasers so that it would cause some sort of accident with the dilithium and kill the child while looking like an accident and not like a uh, murder. The ensign tells Scotty that he had a sister on the Defiant, which was destroyed in the Tholian web episode, and that's why he hates the Tholian so much and why he wants to kill this little poor defenseless child. Meanwhile on the planet, Kirk and JoJo's soldiers make it to the rocket site. But they have some heavy opposition, and they cannot launch the rockets while the planet's attack planes are circling above. On the ship, Scotty is able to shut down all the power to everything, including gravity, so that they're able to make it to the space station in time to save the people aboard. Later, Spock has won the election, and he states in an address that he is stepping down as president. As his final orders, he requests that the governments release all their money to go straight back to the people. Also, he says that everybody on the planet must read the books and learn the works of Plato, Frederick Douglass, and Surak. Also, he starts a government where it's run by three equal parties, one being Marcone Cloyd, which was the woman that was like vice president to Jamic. The other party would be Jojo Krakow. And then the third party would be another person elected by the Iotian people. Obviously, just not him. So I guess they're going to have another election. With that, he leaves, and hopefully they have not screwed up this planet any more than they have the last two times someone's visited. On the ship, we learn that Ahura has made some great progress in communicating with the Tholian child, which she now calls Bright Eyes, using the universal language of math and geometry. Scotty gives a brief update on Ensign Sadie's mutiny, and we learn that he's going to be dropped off at a nearby starbase to face a full trial. The end. Okay, something you didn't mention, though, mm -hmm. uh, because this is a synopsis, you can't mention everything, is the fact that at the very end they had a light moment on the bridge where Scotty had a bottle in his hand. Uh, which looked a lot like a scotch bottle. So he's drinking there on the on the job. Well, you know, I'm thinking between uh, Scotty's scotch and McCoy's Romulan ale, the Taz crew has a drinking problem. <laughs> but also, this is the first time I've ever seen alcohol brought onto the bridge, you know, with the crew there. I mean... You know, a lot of times in the old things where Pike had a drink with right. with the doctor, and then McCoy and Kirk would have drinks every once in a while. That was usually in, like, their quarters, the captain's quarters. It wasn't out and open where the crew right. could see you're drinking. So it's like, woof! What? I mean, they don't have 10 forward, right? So, um... But they do have a mess hall, so... Well, they got a mess hall, but they're not even in that. No. They're... I mean, what, were you only supposed to have Synthol? Or is that a uh, a next-gen thing? 
Anyway, the, the main thing is never seen hard alcohol or any kind of alcohol on the bridge before. I think this is a uh, this is surprising. Right. And they don't mention it, do they? Uh, I don't think so. Although it's like it's 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 strongly hinted at. <laughs> yeah, no, now that I'm looking at the pictures, uh, definitely that he is. Uh, I didn't catch it, well, I guess, when I first read it. Nobody else has glasses, so he's just carrying around the bottle. Yo, he's going to pass the bottle around in a minute. Huh. Yeah, yeah hey, and, and McCoy says, so are, when are you going to open that? I thought you'd never ask. So, there you go. Oh, there it is. <laughs> yep, well, they've had a rough day. They've had a rough day, yeah, and it's probably not Gatorade. Okay. Anyway. So, uh, I don't remember, and I didn't put it in the synopsis, so I don't have anything to remind me. Why was the people on the planet fighting back at the at the rocket station? Why did Kirk and them have to fight their way in? Was Jamek a... Oh. Was he really trying to not let them even try to help? Correct. He was not going to let them... He was, he was not going to let those southern scum try to use the uh, the space facilities. That's kind of a jerk thing. That is a jerk move. Well, basically, that's, that's the problem, right? Jojo Krakow's big issue is the South Side boys, or the southern part of the continent, I, or the planet, I guess, they're not, they're not reaping the same kind of benefits that the North is. Gotcha. So uh, it definitely seems... But, but the South has their own space program, too, apparently. Right, uh, they have a space station. Yeah. Anyway, and another thing about that assault on the spaceport, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, none of them have phasers. No. Nope. Uh, in, in fact, the only thing they do is there's a few parts where, they're, you know, fisticuffs. They're like, they're like hitting people. And I think Spock is doing the Vulcan neck pinch thing. So it's like, okay, uh, you don't want to take a chance of leaving technology behind again? Or they already know you got phasers or heaters, so why don't why aren't you armed? I don't know. Well, and JoJo's team has phasers or some sort of rifles, some kind of rifles, light. So yeah. uh, you would think that they would have given them one of those. Yeah, you know, or is that part of the non-interference thing? I don't know. Seems odd. I don't know. But you don't see McCoy punching people very often with the uh, you know the pal. <laughs> That's kind of cool. <laughs> Right, right. Well, it was a smaller guy because McCoy isn't that big a guy, I guess. I don't know. Okay, so Uhura. So the big thing, a big thing about the bigger storyline is Uhura figures out she can. She thinks she can use math as a Rosetta Stone to be able to communicate with the Tholian guest. Right. Okay. And Tholians as a whole, not just not just the uh, the the child. Let's call him the child. Right. Um, okay, so that's a major breakthrough. But it's pretty weird how the Tholians have been smart enough to figure out how to speak English. Or should I say Esperanto? Now, they never call it Esperanto here. Well, Even though I, I always think it. it well, <laughs> so that was Golki that, that mentioned yeah, that Esperanto? Was, that was Golki, yeah. Okay, that's kind of interesting. Um, that, I mean, Golki would actually come up with an idea like that. That actually makes sense. But anyway, it's about time we figured out how to speak Tholian, I must say. And Spock still hasn't volunteered to do a mind mail to just uh, yeah, just get on with this. Exactly, and yeah. and so this is supposed to be a big breakthrough, but as we'll see, not a 
not as big a breakthrough as we'd hoped when we get to the, the, the future issues. Right. Yeah, uh, she's, I, not, she's not actually talking to him. She's just showing him pictures, then yeah. he's responding to him. Exactly. Right. able to communicate anything back to her. Exactly. So they haven't been able to actually get across concepts or even words. Well, right. you know, whatever. Oh, I, I just want to mention something, though. I wanted to make sure I, knew, I got the spelling right for Esperanto, even though I'm just verbally saying it. Just for my notes, I wanted to make sure I got the right spelling. So I did a quick little search on it, and I ran across a black-and-white movie that Shatner is in, and he speaks Esperanto in it. It's supposed to be some kind of... I assume it's supposed to be some kind of future thing? It's kind of hard. I, um, anyway, but it's a scene from... So uh, Incubus is the move is the movie, and uh, Kurt or Shatner and some lady they're speaking Esperanto. Oh, yeah, kind of weird. It's on YouTube. If you actually do a search, I think I think like almost a good chunk of the movie's on there, uh, which is probably fine because I don't think many people saw this movie, um, especially if they're speaking Esperanto. So the whole movie's in Esperanto. That's <sighs> I don't know for sure. I haven't seen the whole movie. I just watched like maybe a ten-minute scene, but it kept going. I mean, I could have I could have watched it longer, but I didn't. Uh, it looks kind of cheesy. Anyway, uh, the word of the day is hokey. Hokey. Okay. The... <laughs> <laughs> I okay. So we're on. Uh... So was that Sesame Street or like the Electric Company or that used to do that? Word of the day. Oh, I don't remember. Okay, moving along. Uh, what else do you have? I don't. Oh, wait, well, actually, kind of a lot. Okay, so they made it very clear in this issue that it is the language database, language database from McCoy's communicator that apparently gave them the leg up they needed to develop in only two years: space travel, warp drive, representational democracy, and uh, you know basically all these things that are there now that weren't there two years ago. Right. Which is stinking amazing. I mean, all the stuff in the previous issues they showed us, I mean, they had like video things going on, like history things. Would that really be in a language database? But they didn't really, I don't think they called it a language database directly. I think it was something to do with the, the translator circuit, so language database makes sense. But in this issue, they say language database, and again, I cannot imagine a language database used for a translation circuit would give you all those things that they showed in previous issues and, of course, led them to figure out warp drive and everything. Right. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to how much data is actually on a communicator versus how much it streams from or pulls from a a larger database yeah the ship's database whatever you know the same same problem with the borg which we always have with seven of nine is you know she seems to still retain all this information that a drone shouldn't you know they should have access to it when they're part of the collective but they shouldn't just have it all within their within their own mind at all times right it it Uh, would have it would have to be in as part of an implant some storage device or actually in her just biological gray wet matter Right, which doesn't make sense. No, no, it doesn't. But it helps the storyline, which is the same thing for this. Exactly. I mean, you know, you just got to, this is a lighter one. I mean, the whole idea of that any planetary society could latch upon a one single book as a mm-hmm. blueprint for an entire society and become a bunch of gangsters, 
complete with, you know, Tommy guns and the right outfits and everything and, and cars and the right uh, time period and everything is ridiculous. But you just yeah. got to accept it and go for it. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's cute. It's cute. It's fine. It's it's light. <sighs> so I did find it funny that uh, that the first thing Spock did was not only quit once he became president, mm. but also forced the government to release all their monies. Was that something that came up before where they were impoverishing the people by well, I, taking higher taxes or something? Yeah, or I, that... I think basically he's a commie. Yeah, he's, a, he's, a, he, he's a socialist commie. No, I, I, I think what weren't they weren't they getting across the point? Definitely, it seemed like the the South were, uh, in particular, depressed economically. Right, but still they had enough resources to build space stations and well, ships. Well, but yeah, guns are butter. So, I think the point was they put all this money into recreating their cities, at least in the north, and building space infrastructure that they, you know, more guns, quote, guns, than, uh, you know, there's not a lot left for butter, quote, you know, stuff for people to, to, to enjoy their lives uh, right. individu- as individuals. So I think it's kind of ridiculous releasing all monies. Uh, yeah, that, that was kind of odd. I mean, some money, sure. I mean, you don't have to go at this breakneck speed. <laughs> Every you know, you guys are in space. Great. You you've even maybe got warp drive, or the beginnings or primitive warp drive. Great. Slow down a little bit, and you know, have your people have a little better quality of life. Right. Not everybody has to change their name every two years to <laughs> satisfy some book you read. <laughs> <laughs> That's ridiculous. That people would actually change their names. Right. Uh, Anyway, yep. yep, I agree. That that was weird. Uh, what do you think about the three books? Yeah, that was also weird. So Plato, yeah. obviously philosophy and things like that. Yeah, philosophy of governance, right? So, and then Frederick Douglass, right, to teach the importance of empathy. Okay, and then Sirach to to do the uh, the logic, the necess- the, ne- the the necessity of irrepressible logic. Yeah, I don't know. Those those are three. I, I don't I don't know if I would choose those three books, but I don't know if I would either. But um, this whole thing kind of reminds. But that's what the writers chose. Okay, sure. fine. And of course, they chose it with knowing that Spock was involved. So of course, they're not all going to be from Earth. Uh, but the fact I, I that liked, two out of three are from Earth is kind of interesting. But what? Yeah. No, I, I liked having the Surak one in there. I thought that was. Oh yeah, yeah, I, completely. And you would think maybe Spock would have more, <laughs> more Vulcan books than, than Earth books, but whatever. The whole scenario of having to pick a limited number of reference materials books to help a society move forward uh, in, a, in a good way uh, completely reminded me of the 1960s uh, Time Machine movie, the one with uh, Rod Taylor, I think. And at the end of that, movie, and I think this is the way the book went too, although it's been a long time since I read the book, he came back from the future and he rummaged through his library and grabbed the books he could carry, which of course is limited, and then went back into the future to help 
rebuild human society. Right. And then uh, his buddies that came in after the fact and figured out what he did said, you know, made the, the final kind of question, well, what three books would you have taken? Or, you know, what, you know, what, what books would you have taken? Because he leaves a note or something like that. Anyway, so it totally reminded me of the same kind of uh, dilemma. Hmm, that's what, good. what do you pick? Interesting. Build a whole society. So maybe that was uh, these writers' answer to that question. Uh, exactly. H.G. Wells asked all those years ago. Exactly. Exactly. Very, very interesting. 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 So, yeah. So, I mean, but for a society that takes everything so seriously, I think leaving anything is bad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe just because of the fact that they seize on books in particular, or communicators, so irrepressibly and without asking questions or coming up with their own ideas, uh, maybe that this is exactly what you want to do. But will they interpret it in the way you hope they will? But Right, right. Yeah, yeah maybe you should stick around and make sure, you know, leave somebody from the Federation. I mean, they've made first contact, so they can have an ambassador there. Yeah. I mean, that wouldn't break the Prime Directive. Right. But, no. And then I thought it was funny, so... Spock ran. He won the election. Yeah. And then he's like, the third party should be somebody you elect. Yeah. But not yeah. me, because I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, like... Well, that's a great question. Why do you pick three? I think two is insufficient. The U.S. has two. <laughs> or at least two that make any difference. Well, so... but that's two political parties. This is... This is three branches of government, right? Oh, so there's one branch that's controlled no, by the not. North, one really? by the South, and one by an elected that could be from either one. Huh. Okay. I misinterpreted So this that. would be like the, the legislative, judicial, and... Uh, oh. I... Uh, huh. I, I, I misinterpreted that. Okay. Yeah. Which still doesn't mean... I mean, so if the North becomes more popular, then... The north, it's always going to be two northerns and one southern uh, as far as this uh, three-branched government. Still, I don't think it would work. Yeah, it's, uh, well, you know, it's, um, they're just trying to wrap up the story, right? Yeah. Right. You know, so, you know, in, in the best way they can, it's yeah, kind of difficult. Sure. Although when I did interpret this as three parties and not three branches of the government, I did do a little research, and I thought it was very interesting. Uh, So the UK has 17 different parties, of which only two have significant power, uh, as measured by representation in their House of Commons. So, interesting. So a, a, a poop load of parties, but really only to have all the power, pretty much all the power, um, which is similar in the States, although we don't have 17. Um, uh, we actually have, at least according to the one site I looked at, we have uh, five. So in addition to uh, Democrat, Republican, the Green Party, the Constitutional Party, 
and of course the Libertarian Party. I knew about the Green Party. I knew about the Lib- Libertarian Party. I had never heard of the Constitutional Party before, so or a Constitution Party. Okay, there's your civics thing for the day. Right, but I mean, unless you're a Republican or a Democrat, you're not going to ever. You're not going to have any power. <laughs> you're not going to, you know. The, well, we had the first. There was a governor that was the first, like, uh, non-Republican slash Democrat governor, right. probably lib- liber- libertarian or something, probably yeah, first libertarian governor. Yeah. So that's it's kind of sad when, unless you're one of those two parties, you're you're not going to get too terribly far. Right. So I, just that, and then if then me thinking, well, what is the right number of parties? Because I misread what Spock said. Yeah, he um, says this is a uh, this is a uh, council, not not necessarily a political party, but a council made up of three parties, which which all have the I would assume all have the same uh, power. Right. So that not just one person can control everything. Okay. It's just kind of a cool idea. I mean, it's kind of what... Uh, well, it's kind of what we have. Kind of what we're supposed to have. Well, well, we do have the... Uh, I mean, we do have Congress. Sure. Which, representational, representational government. Anyway, whatever. Uh, All right, any more about Spock, uh, Spock's story? Cause... No... No, um, another comment, just not not Spock, though. Uh, it was interesting how McCoy said the only way to fix the situation is he takes back his communicator. And it's like, kind of like closing the barn door after the horses have escaped, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, they already got a lot of info out of that communicator. I wouldn't be surprised if they weren't able to copy uh, the language database. Oh, yeah, you would think so. Yeah. So it's like, okay, you can take back your communicator, but eh, a little late. Right. So this first time I saw seatbelts on the Enterprise, or on Taw's Enterprise, and uh, and the way the artist drew it, they look like uh, like a Ford or GM design. I loved it. I lo- it looked like a seatbelt <laughs> from the sixties. I lo- I love that uh, little attention to detail. <laughs> exactly, but I mean, this is supposed to be hundreds of years in the future, but whatever. Right. But it is. I mean, when you think about it, well, how many ways are you going to change a seatbelt? I mean, I mean, I know in uh, what Beyond they had those digital ones, those stupid that just would like like popped out of nowhere and just came up and over their shoulders and stuff. Right, the same ones that that Kurt Picard had in Nemesis. Oh, D- did they do the same thing in Nemesis? Okay. I think we talked about it last week, too. Did we? <laughs> wow. Okay. Moving along. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember that. Uh, but, okay. But, uh, okay. But, yeah, no, it doesn't make sense. So I, we I had like, seatbelts like in last week's stuff. issues, too? Okay. Or maybe it was a couple of weeks ago. We've talked about it. Okay. Okay. I, I just, yeah. I mean, seatbelts seat belts make perfect sense to have. It's just that really, they're not going to do much in re- in the reality of space, unless well, you have would, unless you, unless you, you have inertial dampeners. And yeah. if inertial dampeners really did what they're supposed to do, then why would you ever need seatbelts? Right. Anyway, whatever. Well, I guess if you turn out you turn off gravity, I suppose then. Right, that's the only yeah. time it would be helpful. 
There you go. Okay. But you could just have magnetic boots for that. Uh, exactly. Or magnetic underwear, so you could just stay put in your chair. <laughs> magnetic boots like those assassins in uh, Undiscovered Country. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, exactly. There you go. I was, th- I was thinking Star Trek First Contact, but yeah, they did it in Unders- Undiscovered Country, too. Oh, right, on the outside of the ship. Gotcha, right. gotcha. Yeah, and, and in uh, The Expanse, they've got just normal shoes, you know, not space shoes, uh, with the magnetic things, so that on uh, uh, in space... You can't, you know, when you don't have gravity, because they don't have they don't have magical uh, artificial gravity in the expanse. Gotcha. Even though they, even though uh, the show takes place in about the same period as Taz. Okay. So you're saying it's more realistic? No, I don't believe you. <laughs> they don't have warp drive either. Oh well. Or inertial dampeners. Uh, or phasers. Um, well, I can one-up you on uh, Star Trek The Animated Series. All they had to have was a belt, and they could walk outside the hull of the ship without floating off, without... Good point. Without having a hard good time point. breathing. Well, Just boom. It yeah, did and, everything. And, and that belt is go- with, the, with the magical force field, which sure. somehow produces oxygen and gets rid of the carbon di- dioxide, because you, yeah. you, you can get poisoned from that, too. It would give you gravity... When you're in a no gravity situation outside yep. the ship, yeah, there was an episode where they were walking on the hull of the ship. Cool, cool. Nobody floated off. Okay, there you go. Okay, that's all I have to say about that one. All right, let's move on to year five, issue five. Sounds good. So this one starts a new storyline, although of course we still have the child, and I don't mean the Mandalorian baby Yoda. The Tholian child is still with them. This one was published date August 2019. Uh, the writer is Jody Hauser. Art is by Sylvia Califano, who I believe is new from from an art standpoint. Um, colors by Thomas Deere. Letterer Neil Yataki. Showrunners Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. And later we'll have to talk about the showrunners. Why do you need showrunners on a comic book? Interesting. Editor Chase Marotz. Editorial assistant is Annie Perenhupta. Group editor, Denton J. Tipton. So a lot of people are the same, but we've got new art people, and I think the writer's different, too. Okay, two covers. The first cover features a mega shadow of the Enterprise cast down over a derelict cityscape, and there doesn't appear to be any signs of life. So this is a planetary surface, and there are ruins, and then huge shadow of the Enterprise over it. Covers by Stephen Thompson. The retailer incentive cover... Features black and white sketches of Scotty, Kirk, and McCoy that all look kind of angry and confused or something. They've got odd looks on their faces, but pretty much they're angry. Lettering towards the top asks, why is the crew of the Enterprise suddenly at each other's throats? And when I first saw this cover, the first thing I thought immediately was, gosh, I hope this is not another story patterned off of the Taws episode, Day of the Dove. So this is the first place that popped into my head. And it continued to pop into my head as the uh, issue went on, by the way. On the way back to Earth, Starfleet diverts the Enterprise to planet Hesperides I, where they are to carry out archaeological exploration of the ruins of an advanced, yet now extinct, people. The ruins show some similarities to Earth's past societies, 
Kirk muses, what might they learn about their own society from this unfortunate extinct one? On the planet, in spacesuits, a large landing party is gathering samples, taking sensor readings, and pondering what they see. Due to walls with gouges made by energy weapons and cadavers with similar damage, Kirk asks, was it war that ended them? Spock cautions about jumping to a planet-wide assumption based on what they see in a single location. The landing party completes sample gathering, seals them up tight in quarantine containers, and beam them all back to the ship. The survey is complete. Back on the ship, Kirk checks on Uhura's progress, learning how to communicate with Bright Eyes, the ship's lone Tholian guest. Uhura confirms Bright Eyes can understand mathematical concepts, just like humans do, but going beyond that to understand meaning and intent is so far not happening. Kirk wonders if Bright Eyes even understands that they are trying to help him, that they rescued him from his own people, that destroyed his home and his family on that planet. Kirk leaves Uhura to her work. Meanwhile, in a storage bay, a strange force in one of the containers is trying to break past the quarantine fields. It succeeds. In a galley of the ship, BT, one of the scientists studying the Hesperidian artifacts, gets into a tiff with her closest co-researcher, Alton. Alton thinks it's a complete overreaction to what he said, and Beatty storms off. Ahura bumps into Chekhov, who is just in a tiff with a lovely crewwoman that ended in her striking him in the cheek. He is testy when Ahura asks what happened. A fight breaks out in engineering. Fisticuffs between redshirts. Engineering redshirts. Later, Kirk convenes a meeting with Spock, McCoy, Scotty to discuss the violence breaking out all over the ship. Scotty explains what happened in engineering and also says there is a problem with the ship's communication systems. McCoy reports on an unusually high number of crewmen coming to sickbay with broken noses, butts, bruises, etc. Spock observes emotions are running high, even for humans. Kirk asks what is triggering all this. McCoy says he can start conducting deep brain scans, starting with them. Kirk also says he wants the Hesperides 1 artifacts checked to make sure they have not broken containment. Kirk calls Uhura using a communicator since the normal ship's communication systems seem to be down. He asks her to come off Tholian duty and get to sickbay. Before she leaves, she decides to hand a teddy bear to Bright Eyes to keep him company. The Tholian ends up cutting it to bits with his diamond-hard fingers. She turns to leave, thinking she needs to try sturdier toys, when she hears Bright Eyes say, Sorry I destroy, in an odd-sounding voice. The Tholian follows that trick up with another, by saying, Stay here, no alone. To be continued. Is that the voice it used? I don't know. I just, at the last minute, I kind of did a voice. Although, uh, I think the Tholian voice should probably be a little bit more rougher. You know, right. even though it's a child. It's cute. I, I didn't know you did voices. Oh, yeah. Me and Mark Hamill. You know, people don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I destroy. How about that? Or is that better? I, like, I like the first one better. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Okay. Yeah! So what's the deal, man? Mm-hmm. 
he can talk now. He well, so it appears. Breakthrough time. Creepy. But again, it's a Tholian speaking English, or so it appears. Right. Yeah, it's amazing. Yes. And you would think that uh, it shouldn't be amazing because Spock should have already mind melded with it. <laughs> <laughs> Coming back to the obvious solution. Although the artwork when he tears it up and when he says sorry is it looks really creepy there. Well, it, I mean, you you would look at that and be like, yeah, I'd be scared of that. Well, yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean. <sighs> It's kind of like that little Tholian just turned into Freddy Krueger or something. So if his fingers are diamond hard and you look at them and they look like they're sharp at the end, or at least pointed, right? Um, that guy could really carve up a human body if he wanted, yeah. if, if they wanted to. The Tholians, and it's like, oh, you know, if I were her, I'd be thinking, oh, sure. I never thought about how the fact he could kill me pretty quick. <laughs> If he wanted to. If he wanted to, yeah. Yeah. No, I thought it was cool. Uh, and I, man, I, I'll be honest with you. When I was reading this book, mm-hmm. I got to that issue, and I was like, well, I got to read the next one, because that was too intriguing for me for when the baby, when the baby started talking. I was like, I got to read the next one, where some of these other books, I've been like, eh, I'll, I'll read it tomorrow. But this one, I was just like, I got to find out what happens next. Yeah, yeah. it, Yeah. And even more so for me, because I thought, since the beginning of the issue, we were heading down one direction. So there's some kind of alien influence making everybody angry and, and preying upon their emotions. But then we find out later, this other thing's happening. And it's like, what? I mean, are two things going on here? Or did the fight, are the fights related to what we're seeing with the Tholian? Right. So I, I still thought I was still thinking that uh, that it had something to do with why those other crew members just randomly mutinied in the last issue was the Tholian was somehow causing people to act odd or mm. give in to their impulses mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, that's another that's another theory. Yeah, because I mean, the last issue we didn't really talk about it much, but the guy did the mutiny and he got all those other people to help him because yeah. of well, his sister dying. All those other, I mean, it was just a few red shirts that Still were following more, his lead. More than one dude. So true, I mean, true. It's for the one dude. They more only talk dude. about him being sent off to trial and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. they should all be there with him. Yeah, yeah. They all mutinied, and they were all going to blow him up with the weird phasers dilithium plan. <laughs> but anyways, that was kind of weird. Reading this, I'm thinking, okay, so the Tholian is somehow still influencing people to, you know, mutiny when they normally wouldn't give in to and start fighting when they normally wouldn't. And now he's talking? Oh, I was intrigued. <laughs> right. Yeah, so what, what's causing all this? Some common thing going on. So a bit of a mystery by the end of this issue. Right. And they got me. I would have, uh, you know, I was going to buy the next issue anyways. But uh, if if I would have just started with this one and not already been a big Star Trek fan, they would have gotten my four bucks the next month. I would have had to find out what happens. <laughs> well, and, you know, job well done. I mean, a lot of times they end up trying to get you to get the next issue just by doing the tried and true uh, put a character you like in danger. Right. You know, that's the that's the trope. 
that's always thrown out here. This keeps you uh, hooked with an interesting idea, with a mystery. Right. Yeah, like I like it too. What about the artwork? Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, I, I think this artwork is really good. I think everybody's drawn faithful to the original actors. Everybody looks good. And physically, people are a little idealized, but it, I don't think it goes too far. Like, especially Ahura, she looks great. Better than she ever looked in the, in the TV show. Um, so she was a little idealized, but still not horribly idealized. And uh, everybody else, you know, looks like they're in, in good shape, you know, more or less like they were in the show, which is different from the last issue we just read. The artist that did at least the last issue, maybe the second to last issue too, but definitely the the last issue of that story arc. Sure. Um, we talked about it last time, I think, but drew him kind of pudgy, kind of pear shaped, which isn't right. Uh, McCoy was never pear shaped, anyway. Nope. I, I like this artwork, and I thought, to my surprise, these spacesuits that I always hate, I hated, they, but here they actually look kind of cool. And I was just like, those do kind of look like real spacesuits. Well, and they're very detailed. I mean, not only are they very faithful and accurate to the original designs, I could not find anything that was not accurate. But they drew it really with nice detail. I mean, it looks realistic. The way it fits, it fits a drawing better than it fits a real actor. It actually looked functional and it actually kind of looked cool whereas yeah. when they wear them on the show they always look so stupid <laughs> you look so dumb dumb <laughs> yeah but well here, also... here i was like man these actually look good they should wear these on the show yeah. oh crap these are the ones they wear on the show <laughs> well the other thing is okay so some things are a little different like these look like white material Right, and I'm pretty sure it's been a while since I saw the Tholian web, but I'm pretty sure the material was a little bit more like like tinfoil, you know, a little mm. bit more like 1960s real spacesuits, right? You know, that kind of thing, like kind of metallic material, where this looks more like a, you know, like like, like an Apollo era kind of material, white, and not cool. like a reflective uh, tinfoil. Yeah. Well. Regardless, I liked it. Yeah, I, I liked the artwork everywhere on this one. Yeah, yeah, really good job, really good job. The Tholian looked great, like you mentioned. Every place the Tholian was in, I think I thought he looked really good. And the planet, the wreckage on the planet looked cool, and the the aliens that were the the ancient civilization, which I guess were some sort of Medusa looking creatures, they mm-hmm. looked cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. I, I, and, and I'll give you another one: the, the ship's interiors. So. You know, where where Ahura is working with Bright Eyes, you know, they had that kind of like the wall where the upper half is made like a lattice work of like holes. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. That looks no good. And I'm pretty sure that was in Star Trek, in, in oh, Taws. It was there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so, you know, kudos to the uh, to the artist. Oh, and, and the engineering looked good, too. You right. Know, where the fight happened. So there were a few different scenes from, you know, like high vantage points looking down and things, and it looked like the TV show. Not bad. Right. And this has to have one of the, I mean, it's a different artist, but that cover with the uh, the shadow of the Enterprise over a, mm-hmm. a destroyed city yeah. was awesome. Yeah, it looks I good. 
It looked really good. It's just that in reality, the Enterprise would have to be in really low orbit <laughs> for that right. to really happen. Coming in to land in the water. Exactly. That's what it's doing. Oh, land in the water. Yeah. Oh, my God. Ugh. No? That's not what it's doing? Probably not. <laughs> yeah, out of all of these, that was my favorite cover, I think, yeah. that I've seen so far. That's a good cover. I don't know. Issue 8 has a pretty cool cover, so we'll talk about that sometimes. In the future. Cool. Yeah, so um, let's see. Was there anything else worth saying? Nope. That's all I have to say. I did think it was weird she gave him a teddy bear, and then I'm like, well, he's not going to know what a bear is. you know? No, no, he wouldn't. He's probably going to wonder why it's so squishy when he was tearing <laughs> it all up. Uh, it kind of reminds me of my little toy one that Mother had given me, but it's not made out of diamonds, and... Rip it to shreds. Right. All right, anything else, or shall we finish it off? I'm, I'm done. All right. Let's go. Let's do the next one. Done as well. All right, so uh, this is issue six. It came out September of 2019. All the writing and art staff was the same as issue five. It has two covers. I do like these ones that only have two covers, because uh makes it a lot easier on me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, yeah. Right, exactly. So the uh, first cover is by Stephen Thompson, and it shows Bahura with the earpiece and her hand up to her ear. Then in front of her, we see some superimposed uh, Klingon battle cruisers. And then uh, up at the top where it says Star Trek Year 5, we kind of see the underbelly of the Enterprise kind of flying towards Uhura's head. And then uh, the uh, retail incentive cover is by J.J. Lindy. And it, again, is the uh, travel guide cover. And it says, I explore the ruins of a once great empire. And then it has a picture of just red-skirted woman and a red-shirted man kind of standing in front of all these uh, ruins with some, like, um, and it's kind of in a V-shape. Where the bottom of the V, it's all ruins, and in the upper part of the V, the uh, the landscape is all pristine and new with with people and ships flying around it and things like that. Interesting cover. Kind of maybe a cover you would see for, like, Visit Ancient Greece or something like that. All right. So the uh, story wraps up, and there's not a ton to talk about, so my synopsis is a tad short, maybe. So uh, Ahura and Bright Eyes are now talking, and he is speaking what he thinks is Tholian and what she's hearing as Galactic Galactic Basic or Esperanza or whatever they're speaking, English for us. Um, After a short conversation, Ahura leaves to inform the captain. In a conference room, McCoy, Spock, and Kirk are puzzled over what's happening all over the ship. Ahura arrives, and she has Kirk do a test by reading a card that has a picture of a cat on it. And he's supposed to say that it's a dog. And he says it's a cat that has a dog on it. Or it's a picture of a cat with a dog. Regardless, that's what he says. He says, it's a cat, but I'm supposed to say it's a dog. And then McCoy and Spock write on a piece of paper or or a data pad what they heard. And then... uh, when they show him that, Kirk's like, that's not what I said. I said, it's the dog. And then Uhura even plays back a recording, and all it has is Kirk saying, it's a dog. 
So this proves that people are not hearing what's being said, but instead hearing what people are thinking while they're saying it, which is going to cause all kinds of confusion if uh, your your inner thoughts are what everybody's hearing and not your outer thoughts. So to combat this, Kirk orders the crew members to communicate everything through writing. So since uh, you're writing what you're wanting to actually say, there could be no misunderstanding of somebody hearing what you're thinking instead of hearing what you're saying at that exact time. So uh, after all this, uh, and once things kind of settle down, uh, they're suddenly approached by a Klingon battleship. Kirk has to break his no-talking rule, and he communicates with the, the Klingons. These happen to be the bumpy-headed Klingons, and this is the first time Kirk has ever seen this variation of the Klingons. And uh, he says something to the effect of, what's wrong with your head? And then uh, Kirk... So we don't know if that's really what Kirk said or if that's just what the Klingon heard Kirk say. Or us and the Klingon heard Kirk say. Regardless, Kirk tries to tell him about uh, what's going on, but all these truth bombs keep falling everywhere. Uh, Even the crew members on the Klingon ship start being affected because they're saying things that a normal Klingon wouldn't say. So uh, once all this happens, uh, the Klingons eventually let the Enterprise return the artifacts to the planet, which Kirk was able to communicate that that's what's causing all of this. Later, they return to Hesperidus 1, and they return the artifacts. Uh, once they leave the planet, things all return back to normal, uh, with nobody's unexpressed thoughts becoming expressed. And Kirk visits Ahura and finds out that she's still working um, the translator, now that she can no longer communicate with Bright Eyes. The end. Good one, right, Ken? <laughs> well, we found out what the mystery was. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so Uhura's test, using a big, like, kind of a playing card kind of thing, um, <clears throat> was interesting. It confused the heck out of me what was actually happening, and I put that down in my notes. Um, so it's the kind of thing that's kind of difficult to get across, I think, in a comic book. But so it was not um, some malevolent alien making people feel uh, negative emotions that it fed upon. So cool. It was actually people are able to, to some degree, read each other's minds. Or at least while they're talking, they're able to read each other's minds. Okay, fine. Great. Um, so, okay, so... We find out about that, and of course we find out about the uh, <laughs> the problems when human beings can actually express everything, <laughs> or, or even the things they don't want to tell people, but are thinking. Uh, which, yeah, that's a, that's a powder keg. <laughs> right. Are you familiar with the, the TV miniseries named Limetown? Limetown? L-I-M-E-T-O-W-N. No, I've never heard of it. Okay, so Jessica Biel. Uh, I don't know who she is. P- p- yeah, there you go. A pretty known actress. Um, she's the producer of the show, or one of the producers of the show, as well as the star. And it was like an eight-part miniseries or something. And, are you, well, oh, God. Okay, spoiler alert. I mean, I, I got to tell you the main point of, of this miniseries for me to make my comment. So... Uh, if you care about ever seeing Limetown and you haven't seen the, the, the show, it actually, the mystery of what's really going on adds to it. Okay, so 
basically there's a town that was established expressly to carry out an experiment, a scientific experiment. And it was in Limetown, uh, it was like in the south, like maybe it was Tennessee or something, Limetown, Tennessee. So they had big time funding, so they came in, they basically created a very small like city. And they populated it with uh, volunteers and scientists. And basically what they did is they had a de- an implanted device that would be implanted in the back of your head. And this thing would allow your thoughts to be read by another person that had the same device put in their head. So it was kind of almost like a... Um, a Black Mirror episode, or maybe Twilight Zone or something. But, because it's a science experiment, half of the people had the implant, and the other half of the population didn't have the implant. And then they watched the wackiness that that, that progressed from there. And in the end, it did not end well. So, (laughs) um, this, you know, this same, or similar idea, but some alien technology is allowing kind of sort of the same thing to happen. So, uh, fascinating. Fascinating. I definitely recommend watching Limetown if you get the opportunity. It's, uh, I think it's for free on Facebook. So, you can, you gotta go to Facebook, which is the only downside. But it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a Facebook video. So, I don't know if you know this, but Facebook has videos. They produce content now. And Limetown is one of their, uh, shows. Anyway, um, but at the beginning, what was going, the whole mystery of what is Limetown and what happened there was a big part of make, what made the miniseries good. Uh, and I just told you what it was. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. But as Donovan is, is, is wont to uh, point out, I spoil things. Ken spoils everything. That's true. That's true. That's true. Okay. I'll stop talking now. Go ahead. So, no, that's interesting. Um, so, but I mean, but in that one... So the people didn't know which ones had the implants and which ones didn't? Oh, they knew. Well, oh. uh, yeah, they they knew, but there was some cheating going on. So some people that supposedly didn't have the implant got the implant. But for the most part, people knew who didn't and who didn't. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm not going to go into more of it, but yeah. That's All it. right. So uh, but back to this issue um, and that card mm-hmm. that you are so fond of. Um, <laughs> where did that come from? Because it looks like a playing card. It's big. It's an oversized playing card. Yeah. Well, wasn't that but part of... But up in the corners where the, you know, the ace or the, the king yeah. or the yep. whatever would the be. Suit. It's a little star symbol logo. Yep. Yeah. And then there's a picture of a cat. And then yeah. it looks like somebody wrote, say, it's a dog. So yeah. is there a deck of cards with a cat well, in it? She just grabbed one? That's what Uhura... I think Uhura was using those cards to try to communicate with Bright Eyes. Uh, but I never saw the little... The uh, Starfleet emblem, Starfleet logo, and any I of the other ones. I didn't that notice that either. It's Star Trek. They got you. Got to put the logo everywhere. I guess. <laughs> it was I really don't think you need. I really don't think they need to do that, <laughs> but they did. Uh, yeah, yeah. But again, except for that thing that really wasn't necessary. Again, Sylvia Califano, excellent artwork. But oh no, that was great. Yeah. And what was cool is that you know it shows that card from different angles, and never did it look like the font or whatever of the writing changed. It always looked like it's the same writing, but just at a slightly different angle. It was really good. I was impressed. Yeah. Detail. Attention to detail. So, uh, but yeah, so then you have to 
go to everybody has to write out all their uh, messages to each other. That was that was kind of an interesting way to look around uh, to work around it. Right. I thought. Yeah. Um, but then uh, let, can we talk about the Klingons? Please, let's. So let's talk this about the great. ship first. Have you ever seen that ship before? <laughs> Never. <laughs> that's, it is awesome looking. It is awesome looking. Okay, so the only thing we ever, from a Klingon standpoint, the only ships we recall, as I recall from Taz, is just the standard D7. And that's it. I don't right. remember ever seeing anything else from Klingons. Yet, this looks like a bird of prey, uh, the likes of which we saw in the movies. But it's big, so it's it's as big as a D7, but it kind of has the yeah, because it's it's way in the foreground or the way in the background, and it looks like it's as big as the Enterprise. Okay, okay. Yeah, well, it almost looks like if a D7 and a Romulan warbird from um, Star Trek: Next Generation had a bait. because <laughs> it kind of has that same wing slope. That the um, it, that the it, Romulan ships it, have. It does remind me a little bit of a Romulan ship. Yeah, I agree with that. But uh, yeah, I went. I it was bugging me, so I went out and I did some research. You know, I I did searching. You know, Klingon ships. You know, blah blah blah, and looking at images and uh, you know going to Eagle Moss and seeing what they had, and I found nothing that matches that. I mean, yeah, the, me the, close, the closest thing I, I found was on, and it really isn't that close, was in um, it, the Eagle Moss, and they called it a Klingon Augments ship. Augments. So that's from Enterprise? Uh, maybe. Augments. Oh, I mean, Klingon from, when augments. The, uh, from when the... When, when, it, when Nguyen Soon or something was there, yeah, was working with the Klingons, and, and they and they helped, they attempted to try to explain why Klingons look different between <laughs> Taz and the movies. Huh. So how close was it? Not that close. Okay. It wasn't that close. No, it, it really wasn't. Uh, but there you go. Okay, so yeah, but if so, it was them, that'd be kind of cool that it explained why these guys still had the bumpy heads, even though all the other Klingons had smooth heads. Maybe they were from well, from that far back ago. I don't know. Yeah. So okay. So so for the first time, Kirk sees a bumpy headed Klingon. Okay. So that's cool. But so there's two different explanations for that, right? Or at least two. One is what they had in Enterprise. There was some kind of a mutation introduced, whatever. Um, right. And then the other one is well, there's just two different races or two different offshoots. Right. On Kronos. And well, and then there's so. the, the third explanation, which is they certain certain Klingons have all their features ground ground down and augmented to look like humans. Oh. Like, like they did in that IDW miniseries, and also Discovery did the same thing. Where, But, okay, but, okay, but that's, but uh, you're talking about when they did it for covert reasons. Uh, right. Like they did trouble with tribbles, or are you saying that's just something that people did, like oh, sharpening so you're your, that the trouble sharpening with tribbles guy didn't look like a normal Klingon, the oh, one that was well, well, the, posing as a as a human. The trouble with tribbles guy went through major surgery to get him to look like a human. But then, Cor or whoever was there, and he looked just like a normal human with a goatee. What? Well, <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, and a different... Yeah, okay, okay, fine, fine, fine. So it wasn't as bad if you take a look at the Taws. <laughs> but but remember that, that comic book where they yeah. had... Where, they, where he started from, you know, a bumpy-headed Klingon. No, right. actually... Okay, so... Yeah, that was the one I was talking about. Right, okay. But, yeah, he started from a bumpy-headed Klingon, right? Right. Okay, okay. So I thought they were trying to say that all the Klingons we were exposed to in the original series had to go through all those operations to look... No. Okay. No, no. I don't. I, don't th- I hope not. So then why did they not just get one of the smooth-headed Klingons and say, hey, cut off your goatee and then pretend to be a human? <laughs> yeah, get a shave. <laughs> okay, it's <laughs> it's a really hard procedure we're going to go through to make you look like a human, but we're going to get you a shave. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, I don't know, whatever. So, uh, but but the thing about this is, this doesn't even attempt to say what the case is. All it says no. is, oh, this is the first time Kirk ever saw a bumpy-headed Klingon. Didn't say how he became bumpy-headed, or whether that's normal for him, or whether it's being smooth-headed is not normal. Absolutely no... Not not saying anything about why. This is just the first time he saw him that way. Right. I thought it was interesting. So that is how you read it, too, that this was the first time he's seen a Klingon that had bumpy heads. Yes. Okay, because yep. he says, like, what's up with your head or something like that. <laughs> and in addition to this one being a bumpy-headed Klingon, he also has, like, a piece of metal, like, yep. fused to his face. Yep. So I was kind of thinking, well, is he supposed to be saying what's up with your head because of the metal attached to his exactly. head, or is it because of the bumpy-headed? Exactly. I took it as bumpy-headed, but I could also see uh, maybe it's because he's you know, sporting that metal look. <laughs> but you took it as the bumpy-headed thing. Well, yeah, but yeah, I took it as a bumpy-headed thing. Okay. But, but I thought it was funny because they did purposely – make it look like he has some kind of acid damage or something on the right-hand side of his face. Right. But so it's it's some kind of Klingon battle damage, whatever. And then they got a piece of metal over it. You know, like kind riveted of like, to uh, his face. I mean, it actually exactly. has, like, screws in it that you can see. Right. So it's, it's actually it's, bolted in. It's like Kang's, I think it was Kang. Eye patch, yeah. Eye patch thing, yeah. But that was funny. I, I thought that. What what on earth is wrong with your face? <laughs> <laughs> It, what? The Klingon is not is not happy about that comment. No, but they don't mention it there. They'll say, oh, "I'm from the south. You're only exposed to northern Klingon." Uh, <laughs> that was uh, that was um, Gene Roddenberry's explanation. Oh, was it? Okay, yeah. but I think he did that tongue in cheek. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> okay, but it's okay. still funny. It, yeah. Okay. So I liked. I, I kind of liked. I didn't go into a lot of details. The you know they spend like four or five pages just this conversation mm-hmm. of misunderstandings and things like that. Yeah. So I did like how eventually the Klingon was just like, I don't know what the hell's going on. Go, <laughs> just go return whatever you have to. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. That was kind of interesting, wasn't it? It's yeah. like it's all you know, almost filler, almost. Right. But, but it was it, funny, it, and so it, it, was, yeah. it was fun I mean, it was, to read. It was good it was there, but yeah. it was like it didn't have to be there. The Kling, if, they, if, you, if you excise the Klingon bit completely, it would not affect the story. Nope. No. Except we wouldn't have been exposed to bumpy-headed Klingons for the first uh, time. <laughs> true. True. So, so they had a list of things they wanted to do with this series, and one is to try to work in the bumpy-headed Klingons somewhat, somehow. Right. Check. Right. 
They did it. That's right. There you go, issue six. We took care of that. Yeah. So then they just beam down the thing, and it's all, it's all, it's all now, good. N- now, would you, would you think that they would really do that, though? I mean, would they really just return that? I mean... Yeah, why wouldn't you? Well, it's a, it's a technology that, yes, there are some downsides to it, but come on. Humanity is always messing around with things they shouldn't be messing with. Um, yeah, good point. Uh, but but yes, in the Star Trek universe, people are surprisingly um, disciplined. So Starfleet always makes the right decision when there's a new technology that's dangerous, and they always do the right thing, and blah blah blah. Totally not not likely. But um, but man, yeah, being able to read people's minds, kind of sort of like this, you know, it, that has possibilities. Uh, that might right, be yeah. you could totally might, use that for might spy be purposes. People well, are telling you the secrets and not meaning to. Well, yeah, as long as your spies don't end up telling the people, <laughs> I've got your secret, I can read your mind. Anyway, <laughs> you, you don't want it to go both ways. Well, you'd have to be disciplined, like Spock says he is, and that's why he's not affected by it, because he only says what he thinks. He uh, hmm. Yeah, speaking of that, so McCoy is still doing ear jokes, or he's still thinking ear jokes? Yeah, he still thinks ear jokes, he just didn't know it came out. <laughs> Okay, well, was McCoy speaking at that time? He was, so I, who knows what he was trying to say, but yeah, so 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 Kirk says, so there's something wrong with our ears, and then, Sp- and then McCoy's like, there's something wrong with his ears. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was actually pretty funny. Yeah, okay, got it. And then later, doesn't he turn to him as though you heard the thing about the ears? Yeah. McCoy's, or Spock's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but very... You know, he's very mellow about it. He's very, yeah. matter of fact, he's very Spock about it. Yeah, I, like, I have heard this a million times. Can you get some new material? So, so yeah. So, I mean, like I said, my, my synopsis was short, but that does not mean I didn't enjoy this book. In fact, these two issues, I think, of have, have been my favorite out of the, uh, the three mm-hmm. storylines that have been told through right. Star Trek Year 5. But, uh yeah, I, I think I agree with that. Um, I especially like when a story takes you down one path, really, uh, almost purposely, especially with some of the covers and stuff, and then it and then does the old switcheroo and actually, oh no, it's this. So I thought that was yeah, that was yeah. interesting. And to have one of the best hooks. I mean, like I said, usually when they're in a, on a cliffhanger, I'm still like, eh, I'll read it tomorrow. But right, this right. one, I was just like, oh my goodness, he's talking. I got to read it. <laughs> I, I was invested. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. So why were uh, D sevens on one of the covers? Yet there was uh, no D seven inside. That's that's but uh, Klingons drive. <laughs> just to drive. get you to read. Just to get you to buy. Yeah. It. It's it's their daily drive. A D seven. Mm-hmm. Well, and it was like five of them, right? There was a bunch of them. Yeah. Or here we only see one, and it's yeah. that weird Romulan uh, baby. Yep. Well, they got to get you hooked, I guess. And I did like that second cover, by the way. I thought that was pretty cool. The, the, the travel guide one? The travel guide one. Yeah. Now, why they put Scotty with Ahura? That See, is Scotty, right? I wasn't right? sure if that's supposed... I don't think so. I think no, it's, it's supposed not, it's not to Scotty? be a random red shirt. Okay. It looked a little like Scotty, but yeah. I guess it... Yeah. In that he's wearing a red shirt, sure. There you go. <laughs> well, no, his hair and his face. Although, you know, not... 
not not perfect Scotty, but he looks like Scotty. Well, since it was a travel guide and none of the travel guides have ever had crew members on it before, Ooh. I just assumed it was supposed to be stock footage. Ooh. Man and woman. I think I know why. Why? Because it wasn't there like in the previous issue. I think it was last week. Or was it one of these? Um, yeah, I think it was last week's. Ahura and Scotty were, I think, a little interest was going on there. A little wow. back and forth. Really? Uh, yes. When they were trying to defuse the mutiner? Exactly. Uh, I'll have to go back and relook at that. I didn't. You I don't remember so? any romance going on. Well, uh, kind of like the, the beginnings of it. A little, a little back and forth. A little, you know, um, small talk. Huh. I think. I think. Well, so it would be cool because, I mean, that ties into Star Trek V a little bit. It does. It does. Although, big time jump. But, yeah. Right, right. All right, what else you got? Nothing. I'm done. <laughs> All right. All right, so next uh, episode, uh, we're going to do the first three issues of Star Trek Next Generation Terra Incognita, which is a uh, Mirror Universe issue. Right. Or it's uh, really that whole blending of the Mirror Universe and the regular yep. Next Generation Universe that right. started with the Mirror Broken and Through the Mirror. Exactly. So interesting that they have these like mini chunks of mini series that has to do with that world. Right. That, that crossover. It's a crossover really. Yeah, it's a crossover. That's yeah. how I have it categorized. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. All cool. Right, so, I'm looking uh, forward to it. Looking forward to that with the evil Reggie. <laughs> yes. Who is on our Enterprise D, as you may recall, and he's got our Reg tied up in Reg's quarters. Right. All right. Well, then, I guess we'll be back next week, then. Sounds great. All right. See you later, everybody. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, stcomic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review.